Irish Nation, welcome back on our bye week. A nice, relaxing fall weekend, hopefully for Irish Nation here as we gear up for the second two-thirds of the season as we do our BYU uh, preview show going into next week. Mike, how's LA? How's your bye week? What 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 you get up to uh, while we had the weekend off? Well, we're finally out of the heat wave in LA. It's more fall weather, so finally back to that perfect seventy degree, high sixties, just no humidity, sunny. So we're back to that finally. So perfect weather. The big thing with the bye week for me is it's an opportunity to really build up some of those points with significant other. It's time to get those fall activities in. So you guys know what I'm talking about: apple picking going furniture shopping, things like that. So I, did I was you actually pick apples. Did, did, did you pick an apple other than your local grocery store? I did not. I did not, but I got in some quality time. I didn't go, I didn't go for the big headline fall activity, but got in a lot of quality time. I still watched a lot of college football, but I wasn't necessarily locked to the TV for the, for the Notre Dame, the, for the time period that would have otherwise been a Notre, the Notre Dame game block. But, um, a, uh, a listener of our podcast, Ryan Fish, actually hung out with him this weekend, and he got in a pretty interesting full activity with his significant other. He actually went to the chocolate factory, and they got to sample a bunch of chocolate. They uh, let's great bi week activity. Great bi week activity. activity. He told it to me, I was like, great, I'm going to put this in my back pocket, and I'm going to use it at, at some point. Um, and then also, I mentioned this to, to you, Brett. Uh, also, I also found this really cool whiskey room in LA that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, so that, that was basically my weekend. Nice, relaxing. Again, built up a lot of points with the significant other. I'll have to find later in the season, I'll have to find a time to actually cash those in. Perhaps if there's a really good college football weekend. Um, so that, that's kind of how it went for me. How was, how was your weekend? So that, that was my plan. Um, official wife of the Guyers Talk podcast, Anne and I were supposed to literally go to a pumpkin patch to, to pick out pumpkins at a local Georgia farm that, that we like down here outside of Atlanta and, and do some nice fall activities. And then a couple days ago, I decided to do a last minute pivot and I quote unquote chaperoned a uh, junior team member worker treat for the, the company I work for, which basically consisted of me golfing all weekend and um, enjoying an open bar all weekend. And so uh, any points I was planning to build up, I, I officially did not. And uh, we'll make it up. We'll, we'll, we'll go pumpkin patch picking some some other time um, or maybe apple picking, as, as Mike alluded to. Um, so unfortunately, I, I did not pick up those points, but you used the bye week to get in some golf and, and enjoy some good weather down here in Georgia. Um so uh, enough about how I totally screwed up by week plans, and let's dive into our show. We've got really two segments today. The, the first one's our typical preview segment for the upcoming BYU game, and then the other is just random musings in data and analytics of stuff that we've been tracking throughout the season, kind of taking not quite halftime, only being four games through the season, but using the bye week as kind of this break to say, okay, where are we at? Rocky start, Ohio State, Marshall, Cal, just kind of all over the place. The big win against UNC. How do we take stock of all this? What's the team identity? What players are standing out? Um, in, in a segment we'll, we'll refer to as, um, our bye week musings where we'll, we'll bounce all over the place, but provide some recaps on what we've noticed in the first month of the season. So with that, ready to jump into, uh, BYU? Yeah, let's do it. Excited for another normal weekend with Notre Dame football. We will be disciplined. We will be tough. We will work tirelessly. 
but we will do it with the understanding that no one person, no one coach is more important than another. All right, Notre Dame, BYU playing a night game, although I believe local time it'll be an afternoon game, in Las Vegas, Nevada in the uh, Shamrock Series. BYU coming in as a top 25 opponent, something we predicted in the offseason. We, we knew BYU was for real. Um, maybe the biggest surprise is we sort of expected them to be an offensive juggernaut and probably mediocre on the defensive side of the ball. This has been a more balanced team. They, they're, they're pretty good on both sides of the ball. But the BYU Cougars begins and ends with their star quarterback, Jaron Hall. Now, we've gone up against C.J. Stroud. We've gone up against Drake May. Notre Dame's seen some really good quarterbacks early on in the season, not to mention DJU and Caleb Williams still coming on the, on the calendar in the Clemson and USC games. So, Mike... Is Jaron Hall the real deal? How should we compare him against the other elite quarterbacks Notre Dame has faced and is going to face? And what should ND fans be expecting heading into that matchup with Jaron Hall? So going into the season when we did our preview, we were hyping up, hyping him up potentially as a potential Heisman trophy candidate. So I don't, I don't think he's been playing quite at that level, but look, he's a good QB. He's got 12 touchdowns. To one interception through five games. So pretty similar to CJ Stroud and Drake May. Sp- spreads the ball around. Doesn't really turn the ball over, as I mentioned through those stats. Mobile enough to avoid sacks. He's certainly a QB that you have to account for at, at all times. He can, he can do some damage. Again, maybe not, maybe not a Heisman Trophy winner, but definitely one of the better QBs in college football this season. So overall, I do think this is a, a tough matchup for Notre Dame. Bracey, if we look at UNC, he struggled a bit against Josh Downs. Cam Hart has generally been solid, but when he's had lapses, when he's had mistakes, they've really been fairly large mistakes, typically uh, big plays. So if he can cut those out, I think, I think, uh, I think we're looking better there, but generally he has had those lapses. And then the opposite corner is currently open. So during the UNC game, Clarence Lewis really did not get many snaps. He just has not performed particularly well this year. And Benjamin Morris has been surging, which Again, if you have a true freshman who's taking up a lot of snaps, it does say a lot about that true freshman's potential, but that's not typically where you want to be, where you're relying on it. It also freshman. shows something about the upperclassmen. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so Clarence Lewis has not been doing well. Look, Benjamin Morris, I think he's going to, he's been playing well given the circumstances, and I think he's going to be really good, but that's not the situation you really want to be in. So essentially, I think this is the key to the game, how our, our secondary, how our, our pass defense is going to hold up against their, against their pass offense. Can we replicate what we did against uh, slowing down Stroud in May? I think if we can, that's a really good sign. That would be going three for three against elite passing games. I think that would be a huge testament to this defense if we can do it. And we, we've shown some some signs that we can, again, based on what we've done against Ohio State and UNC. So I think if we get this data point and we look good doing it, slowing down their passing uh, attack, I think uh, I'll be feeling pretty good going forward. Yeah, it, so here's here's my thoughts on Jaron Hall. I agree with everything you said. He is arguably playing a step down from a snap-by-snap quality last year versus this year. Um, his pro football focus grade last year was around an 89, which is phenomenal. It's top 10 in the country. This year it's 80. Still very, very strong, but you know, kind of elite, elite, elite to solidly above average. And the difference isn't really in his passing numbers. Like he is on track. With a better touchdown interception ratio, he's on track to throw for significantly more touchdowns this year, more yards this year. 
still explosive with the long ball. The difference is he's not been a running threat. So last year, he rushed for 300 yards. I believe it was over 500 or over 450 if, if you remove sacks counting against them. This year, he's only rushed for 64 yards. So his scrambling ability was very much a big part of their offense last year. Not really there this year. The other thing that I find interesting in these matchups so far against elite QBs, CJ Stroud played most of that game with, without Jackson Smith and Jigba, their all American potential Belinikoff award winner, you know, arguably best receiver in the country, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, Drake may had just gotten back Josh Downs, but did have Josh Downs, who was really effective against Notre Dame. Similarly, BYU's had a lot of injuries at the wide receiver position. Um, Gunner Romney, senior wide receiver, Puka Nakua, a uh, junior transferred in wide receiver, arguably their top two receivers. Romney, I believe, has missed two games. Nakua got hurt in the opener and has basically been day-to-day since then. And it sounds like he could be back for Notre Dame, but haven't had a recent injury update on him. And so <clears throat> Jaron Hall, I think, gets much more um, dangerous if all of his weapons are there. This is a team that likes to spread the ball. It's it's another point, um, you know, we've, we've got to talk about here. Um, I read something like they've had eight different receivers, not only catch a ball, catch a touchdown. Um, through five games of the season. So they really spread the ball out. They really, in, in a lot of ways, are similar to what UNC and Ohio State are doing. And so if Jaron Hall gets back those targets, if Romney's healthy, if um, Nakua's healthy, um, sorry, yeah, P- Puka Nakua, it makes me a little more nervous that this game looks like UNC in the second half when they really found their rhythm and less like maybe when we were able to shut down CJ Stroud or shut down Drake May for a lot of that game. So it's another really good challenge. We've done it twice. We've proven it against two highly explosive offenses that our defense can really slow down any elite passing game. This is another challenge that looks and feels a lot like those matchups that are going to stress test pretty much any defense in the country. BYU is going to go and get their points if they're healthy. Yeah, I agree with all that, Brett. Now, moving on to another theme for us, and I think it's we talked about how important it is to stop their pass attack, see how our secondary holds up, our ability to limit them. But other than that, what do you think is is really make or break for, for Notre Dame in this game? I think it's an area that... Both teams would describe this matchup as strength on strength. It's BYU's pass blocking, which according to Pro Football Focus is the second best pass blocking team in the country against Notre Dame's defensive line, which is arguably our strongest unit um, on, on maybe even either side of the ball. And when Notre Dame's defensive line gets going, which we saw against Cal, um, which we saw against UNC, they can take over a football game. And when they don't, um, it puts a lot of pressure on our offense to go and put up points. And so you've got BYU's offensive line, which I believe returned four of five starters from last year. This is a seasoned veteran unit that's been together, that's played a lot of football together, that, that's back with their signal callers. So there's a lot of experience on that side of the ball. And they grade out phenomenally well <clears throat> against Notre Dame's defensive line that at their best is one of the best units in the country. Um, but they've been really inconsistent so far. And so to me, that's what I'm watching. 
is Foskey and Riley Mills and the Adam Alola brothers and Howard Cross, are they getting pressure or is Jaron Hall thrown at the clean pocket? If Jaron Hall's thrown at the clean pocket, Notre Dame's probably not winning this game. I think Notre Dame's got to have 15 to 20 pressures, whether that's hits, hurries, sacks, they, they have to get in the backfield in this game. A big interesting stat here is this, the, the raw talent. So Notre Dame's defensive line peppered with four stars. We've recruited pretty well there. Um, the offensive line for BYU, it's a lot of kind of diamonds in the rough. So Kingsley Suomatea, he's a five-star recruit. I believe he was an Oregon commit at one point, maybe even an Oregon transfer. The other four starters, their, their rankings, uh, recruiting rankings on 24-7 were 1,025, 1,334, 2,266, and unranked. I didn't even know you could play like at the FBS level and not be ranked in a recruiting service, let alone be starting. So four of their five linemen are really off the radar, low end, you know, three, even two star recruits. Um, they've done really well developing. They play really well as a unit. I, I think as a Notre Dame fan, you got to believe that just our raw talent and athleticism needs to win that matchup just physically. And that that's probably the area in this game that I'm watching for the most. Yeah, I agree with that. It's interesting because, as you mentioned, they have a lot of experience coming back. And they held up pretty well against Baylor, their offensive line did. But then if you look at another comp, they struggled uh, quite a bit against Oregon. So clearly there's not a consistent pattern here. Our defensive line, we started out this season a little slow, but we've really picked it up the last two games, which has been very encouraging for me at least, and I think for most of the fan base. So I think... It should be, from the BYU standpoint, for their offensive line, I think it should be a big test for them. I do, th- I think our defensive line should be able to, should be able to handle them. I think we should be able to get pressure. I think they've been coming on. I think they've been doing better. And if we're able to generate a lot of havoc, going into this game, if you, if you told me right now, you said Notre Dame's gonna generate 20% havoc, I would feel pretty comfortable about our chances of, of, of winning this game. I would, I would feel pretty good about it. I would say, okay, clearly we're gonna be very disruptive. The defensive line showed up. I think we're going to really be able to limit what what Hall is going to be able to do. He's just not going to be able to kind of keep the chains consistently moving. So I I agree with you there. I think I I want to see our defensive line take another step and and dominate this offensive line. And I I think they're certainly capable of doing it. Obviously, the secondary, we talked about that earlier. That's a big factor, too. we got to be able to hold up, too. But if we're able to consistently get to the quarterback, get pressure on him, and if you're able to do that, hopefully we can actually start generating some more turnovers. Typically, that's when you start to see that show up a little bit more. So I think odds of coming away with a strong victory in this game go up meaningfully if we're able to generate a meaningful havoc rate. So flipping to the other side of the ball, I think there's a stereotype about BYU that they really struggle defensively. And frankly, it's warranted because last year they did. Last year, this was a very below average defense. This year, their SP plus rating on defense is 44th. So, um, above average, top half in the country, definitely not elite or top 25, but a big improvement versus a year ago. And, and they've hung in there. Um, you know, they gave up 41 points in the loss to Oregon, but they held Baylor to 20 points. Um, you know, South Florida, Wyoming, Utah State. I watched that Utah State game. In the first half, Utah State moved the ball at will against BYU, but with no chunk plays. It was just five, six, seven yards, five, six, seven yards. And then in the second half, BYU's defense completely locked down and, and beat up 
you know, not a great Utah State team, but took care of business in the second half. And so, Mike, as you think about that narrative of, you know, BYU, I think, has a reputation of being a weaker defense, but we've seen them play, at least according to a lot of the advanced metrics, better this year. Where are their strengths on that defensive side of the ball? Where are we seeing this improvement in the advanced numbers that are seeing them maybe not, you know, break through, you know, any top 25 level, but really make an improvement to balance this football team? Yeah, so I think on the defensive side, where they're really good is it's it's their secondary. So they're really good in coverage, particularly where they excel are the big plays. So they're 12th in explosiveness and then 34th in coverage grade. So those go hand in hand. Their secondary is really good at not letting receivers, whoever, get beat them deep, basically. They're keeping everything in front of them. They're essentially able to, again, limit these big plays and, and not – they're basically forcing teams to beat them by – executing play after play and really building up a big success rate. So that that's where they, they've been really good this year. And it's worth pointing out that that's actually Notre Dame's weakness. The area this year on offense that we have been particularly weak at is generating explosive plays. And that is linked to our wide receivers, the lack of depth, the lack of just a high-end difference maker. So I think it's interesting. I think going into this game, their strength is limiting big plays, particularly with receivers in the passing game that's our weakness i think for me i think that we're probably going to concede that point we know that that's not who we are we're not beating you on 40 50 yard passes consistently we're going to beat you more ideally assuming our offensive line continues to come come along more with just being able to run the ball effectively short passes and just generating a high success rate not we're not going to be relying on explosiveness so I think it's a point where, again, a point that we're going to concede. I think we're going to try to beat them elsewhere. So maybe that actually kind of works out in our favor a little bit, I, I think, here. But, I mean, even if you look at their pro football focus grades for their defense, if you look at who their best performers are on defense, again, it's it's mostly their secondary. So that kind of lines up with what we were talking about here, their their strong ability in coverage, their ability to, to limit the big plays from the receivers. So, again, this is kind of a... Uh, we were talking about a strength on strength earlier. In this case, this particular aspect of the matchup is uh, BYU strength on a Notre Dame defense. But I don't think it may not actually make a huge impact, as I said, because we may just concede the point and look to beat them elsewhere. Yeah, th- this is going to be another example where Braden Lindsay has not been explosive. Braden Lindsay's not been able to be the next Chase Claypool or Kevin Austin or Miles Boykin and like that's okay. It, it is what it is at this point and we've proven we have other ways to move the ball with creativity and misdirection and play action and screens. Go back and read our prior epi- or listen to our prior episodes where we talk about that ad nauseum. This is not going to be the game where Braden Lindsay breaks out for 10 catches and 150 yards. It's just not. But that's okay because of the weakness on BYU's defense is where we have a huge strength. And that's really their defensive line has really struggled. I mentioned this Utah state, I believe is now one in four. So Utah state is not a good football team and rushed for 3.8 line yards per play. Um, again, line yards is how much push an offensive line generates um, before a running back is contacted on a typical play. So if the offensive line is letting a running back get four yards downfield before they're even touched, that's awesome. And Utah State's not a great football team, and they were able to really move around B- BYU's front seven. 
And so just some other stats on that. They're 116th in pro football focus grades for rush defense. Um, the line yards allowed that I referenced in the Utah State game on the season, they're 112th. And they're 98th in havoc generated. So um, on defense, this is a huge opportunity for Notre Dame's offensive line to step up against BYU's defensive line, use our misdirection, use our athleticism at running back, Use our quick passing game to, to get guys, you know, in open space situations. And I think that's where Notre Dame should control this game. Um, and, and not to belabor the point too much, but just further on BYU's defensive line, their four starters on their defensive lines have grades of 74, so pretty solid, 68, so average to slightly above average, and then 50 and 45. So they've got some huge weaknesses on the defensive line their best defensive lineman maybe even their best defensive player is tyler batty he's got the grade of 74 very good football player similar to what we said about their offensive line he was the 1747th recruit in his high school recruiting class there is no excuse for tyler batty as a low 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 end three star to get any pressure on Drew Pine. Like if Tyler Batty is in the backfield once against Joe Alter, Blake Fisher, we're having serious issues just given the pure talent and physicality mismatch. Um, that's where I think if I look at the a, a team's biggest weakness that can be exploited by a team's biggest strength, it's it's that right there. Like do I think Jaron Hall and their wide receivers can take advantage of our corners? Maybe, but our corners have held up okay. Can our offensive line take advantage of their defensive line? Can our running game take advantage of their defensive line? Absolutely, yes. And that's the place where I think this game will ultimately go towards um, the, the, the Irish in this one. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Brett. I think our offensive line has been trending in a positive direction for the last couple games. We have a bye week, so hopefully that bye week gives us a chance to f- improve further. Someone like Blake Fisher, ton of potential. He's a guy who playing a handful of games, it's probably really helpful for him to be able to take a step back, watch a lot of film, see what he's done well, see what he hasn't done well, have a couple weeks to kind of sort through some of these things. And sometimes after these bye weeks for younger players, you see really big jumps. So I'm hoping that, particularly with the offensive line, and this is true for the, in- the entire roster, but I'm hoping that we, we continue to see improvement there and we're able to really, uh, again, generate some really nice running lanes for our running backs. I'm hoping the running backs also continue to trend in the the right direction too. Pine hopefully continues to look comfortable in the pocket. So I, I do think that there are some good opportunities here for our offense based on the matchups that the BY de- defense presents for us. Now, moving into score predictions, SP plus, they imply a two point spread on a neutral field for this game. And this is effectively, I think it, it's a Shamrock series game, I think, right, Brett? Yeah. So it's in Las Vegas, obviously a little closer to BYU, further travel for, for Notre Dame, but um, cer- certainly a, a neutral site game. Neutral site game. So two-point spread on a neutral field. So that basically implies per SP+, Plus, Notre Dame should be a two-point favorite. ESPN's FPI. So we have a uh, 70% expected win chance on that metric. And the point spread through Vegas is pretty similar to these, these metrics that I just mentioned. It's pretty aligned. So they say that we're three-point favorites right now, and then we have an over-under of 52. Now, I, there could be some recency bias here. I was, 
I think based on what I saw from UNC, that got me feeling better about the the direction of the program. It seemed like some of the strengths that we were expecting coming into the season that took a little longer to materialize, they were finally materializing. I'm thinking with the bye week, hopefully we continue to see that. And then maybe even with the receiver position, guys like Tobias Merriweather, who apparently show a lot of potential but haven't really had a ton of snaps yet, Hopefully the bye week allows them to get into the mix a little bit more. Maybe even someone like Braden Lindsay, who has gotten off to a slow start, maybe it allows them to reset and kind of be a little bit more, have a bit more meaningful production going forward. So all that being said, I think I feel pretty good about this game. I'm not p- predicting a- an Irish blowout or anything like that, but a score of about 30 to 24 Notre Dame winning, that, that feels about right to me. So that's, I'm, I'm picking them to beat the spread by about a field goal here. Yeah, and again, the over-under on this game is 52. So, you know, that kind of in that three-point spread implies Vegas kind of thinks this is a 27-24, 28-25 games here, kind of right on that with a little more favorability to Notre Dame. Um, I keep coming back to, I think, BYU's offense, if healthy. So, again, if Gunnar Romney's full go, if Puka Nakua is finally back after missing, um, I think, the last three or four games now, um I think it's a better offense than some of the metrics suggest because of the injuries they've had. So their offense, for example, in SP Plus right now is ranked 35th last year's top 20. I think BYU will be closer to a top 20 offense. Now UNC was a top 20 offense and we did just fine. Ohio State was a top 20 offense and did just fine. So I think you're going to see something similar here of our defense. I've got BYU scoring 21 points. And I don't know if we quite run over them at will like we did against UNC. UNC's defense is horrendous. Um, it's 99th in SP+, whereas BYU is 44th. So, you know, BYU, not a, again, an elite defense, but better. But I, I think Notre Dame, Tommy Reese, they, they figured out, they keep it rolling. So I've got this one, 28-21, Notre Dame covers. So similar point spread to you, Mike slightly lower point total so i'm actually just below the over under of 52 Um, but i think vegas has a pretty good line on this one at three points i think it's going to be a close game and and you know notre dame fans should definitely not count out the byu cougars jaron hall is legit this passing game is legit there's a reason why they're a top 25 team i get that byu has a history of not being able to hang with more athletic programs, um, but they just beat Baylor this year. Um, they're, so they're, they're a really, really good team that's well coached and, and bring in a lot of experience. So I've got Notre Dame winning it 28 21, um, but I'm pretty nervous going into this game. It's, it's definitely not going to be a cakewalk for, for Notre Dame in, in any stretch. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's been a tale of two cities this season. It's Ohio State. We were feeling pretty good after that game. UNC, we got a good data point there. But then if you look at Marshall and Cal, clearly there are elements of this. You can't totally just dismiss those games and say, we've moved on from that. We're the team that we saw against UNC is the team that we can expect going forward. So the, the truth may actually be somewhere in the middle. And if that's what you believe, that would suggest that this could be potentially a tight game against BYU and that BYU is, is, is more than capable of beating us, especially if we don't show up. So I think, again, I think if we play really well in this game and we see the team that we saw more against UNC, then I think moving forward, I'm getting more comfortable with the idea that what we, the performance that we saw against Marshall and Cal was, you could attribute it more to like early season choppiness with a new coach. And then we're settling in and feeling a bit better. But it, again, we'll, we'll have to see what happens this game. And this will be, this will be a very interesting data point, I think, for the trajectory of the, of the program for the rest of the season.
Completely agree, and that's a great transition to go into our segment on our bi-week musings. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. We will call it the golden standard. All right, so we, we took the bye week to look at really across the board how is Notre Dame stacking up in the college football landscape of advanced stats and, and then specifically individual players that have stood out to us. And the first theme is really building a mic, what you were just talking about to close out our last segment, is volatility. Um, Ohio State and UNC were both excellent performances. Marshall and Cal were, were not. And there's a couple of really important reminders in there. Marshall sucks. Um, after that Marshall loss, a bunch of Notre Dame pundits, a bunch of people in the media tried to be like, give Marshall credit. They're a really good team. They're a bunch of transfers from Power 5 schools. Well, they just went and lost to Troy and to Bowling Green. Um, Marshall's not a good football team, full stop. Cal, they're also not a very good team. They just got blown out by Washington State this week. And we have to remind ourselves that Notre Dame got really lucky in that game. The refs gifted us a phantom um, offsides penalty on a missed field goal that then resulted in a Notre Dame touchdown drive. And then later on in the game, it was a good call, but a Cal defender had a really boneheaded targeting penalty on what would have otherwise been fourth and long. Instead, Notre Dame got a touch, uh, a first down and scored a few plays later. So that game was arguably just as bad as a performance as, as Marshall was. We just got lucky on a couple of fluke breaks that, that put us on the right side of the win-loss column. And so to me, the first theme as we go through these numbers is it's really hard to assess Notre Dame. Um, it's really hard to know what Notre Dame team you're going to get on, on a given week. We've seen four really, really different data points so far. And so are we going to keep seeing what we saw at UNC? Is that the new Notre Dame? Is that what they're going to build on? Or was that the Ohio State version of Notre Dame, but next week we're going to be back to the Cal and Marshall version. And so the lack of consistency is a really important theme to keep in mind as we look at these numbers where they look great in the UNC game and the Ohio State game. They look terrible in the other two games. And then that makes it really hard to predict, well, what does that mean going forward? Um, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, one of the guys I listen to a lot is, is, um, Dan Rubenstein on, on the solid verbal. And he always says, throw out your best game and throw out your worst game. And that's probably more similar to who you actually are as a football team. Um, right now, if you throw out Notre Dame's best game and Notre Dame's worst game, I think that leaves you with two also data points that don't really tell you much. I, I think we're still trying to figure out, um, this team. So with that, Mike, <clears throat> um, you want to walk through, um, some of the players that have stood out to us um, on, on the offensive side of the ball. And then maybe I'll go through some defensive players um, of just who's really stood out this season as kind of the breakout stars or, or, or the expected stars. Definitely. So you got to start with Joe Alt. Last year, Joe Alt filled in on the offensive line, performed extremely well for a freshman who was not even that heralded as a recruit. I can't even, I can't remember his exact recruiting ranking. But he was definitely, Brett, I'm pretty sure he was a three-star, a fairly middling three-star recruit coming in. Yeah, he's 408. 408. 408. So high, high end three-star, but definitely outside the top 300, not, not considered sort of that four-star blue chip recruit. But he came in and as soon as he was playing, he played extremely well, held up really well. So I, it was one of those situations where as soon as someone like Joel gets into a game, it just clicks. You can tell that this guy's a hit. He's going to be a good player. He was immediately, and he's continued that trend this year. So if you look at our pro football focus grades on offense, he stands far and above pretty much everyone else. He has a, I mean, yeah, he does stand far and above everyone else. Right now he has a pro football focus grade 
of 92.7. Let's round it up to 93. If you have a grade like that for the entire season, that's essentially, that essentially screams NFL scouts, draft this guy as early as you possibly can. This is first round NFL draft pick level performance. And where he's actually been particularly effective has been his run blocking grade. His run blocking grade is 93.4. His pass blocking grade, 73.7, which is also pretty good. Um, Alt is someone who's actually pretty athletic, has good length. So he's someone, and also I think, Again, he's he's building his experience, so I would expect the longer that he plays as he builds up more reps, I would expect that pass-blocking grade to continue to improve. But he, he's really been, again, for our offensive line, has, has been performing extremely well. Three pressures in 133 blocking snaps, so that's a 99% rate of not allowing pressure. Zero penalties. Again, these are just the types of stats. When you focus in on high-performing linemen, these are the type of stats that, that tend to go with that. Now... Another player on offense that we got to call out is Michael Mayer. And I think Michael Mayer's had a pretty solid year so far this year. Maybe maybe not at that all-American number one tight end in the country type level. His pro football focus grade is 78.5, rounded up to 79. That's pretty good, but that's not at that level where you're saying he's one of the best players in the country. But again, you have to keep in mind that he attracts so much attention, especially given that our wide receivers haven't been getting a whole lot of separation in production. So Teams can just really key in on them. And the pro football focus grade, they account for that a little bit, but not really. It's not like they're taking into account game plans when they're grading. So Mayer's getting double teamed all the time, and I think that's something that is is limiting his pro football focus grade and, and also some of his stats. Some other things to mention with Mayer, he's got a 65% completion percentage when he's targeted, three touchdowns, and 14 first downs on 22 catches. And then this is a particularly notable stat, I think, is that on those 50-50 balls, those true 50-50 balls where they say it's it's anyone's ball to catch, he's caught 67% of those. So he's been extremely effective there. When he's been able to when we've been able to actually get him an opportunity to make a play, he's done pretty well. And that for the 14 first downs, it's actually tied for first in the country. But again, you have to look at his competition in this department. Brock Bowers at Georgia, I think he hasn't beat right now. Mayor, I think if he steps it up a little bit, he could probably make up some of that ground. Unfortunately, when you're doing these postseason awards with whether it's all American or, or the top tight end in the country, they're not accounting for how much attention they attract or it, it's a really stats focused, I would say area, particularly when it comes to the media. So again, I think he's been doing well, but probably Brett, I think if we were, if we were going into the year and you had, we had a guess, if you had to ask me like what I thought, what pro football focus grade Someone like Michael Mayer would probably have at this point. I probably would have been, I probably would have said somewhere around 82, 83 to like 85. That would have sounded about right, just given how, how remarkable of a talent he is. So again, a little disappointing, but I, he's still been good. He just hasn't kind of been at that exceptional, exceptional level that maybe we were expecting, but still a lot of season left. I think there's still a lot of time for him to make it up. And especially if someone like Pine gets a little bit more comfortable, maybe we're able to utilize and exploit Michael Mayer a little bit more. It's it's interesting how high our expectations are for Mike Mayer when he's arguably our first or second best player on our team um, and is about to set a ton of Notre Dame records at the tight end position. He leads the country among tight ends in first downs, and he's fourth in the country among tight ends in yardage. Um, so clearly very, very high-level performer, and he's going to be a first-round draft pick. So none of this is meant to say that uh, Mike Mayer is anything but absolutely exceptional. I think where 
this kind of goes just for context is he might not be a first team all American. Yeah. He might be a second or third team all American because Brock Bowers is also just really good and is the best offensive player on the number one team in the country. So yeah. the best offensive player on the number one team in the country is going to be a first team all American. And I think partially because Mayer is getting a lot more focus from defenses and is getting less support now playing with a backup quarterback. Probably not the full offensive playbook that Notre Dame was hoping to have if, say, a guy like Brandon Lindsay steps up. That also limits Mayer. That also just kind of limits all of Notre Dame. When you're not ranked, it's harder to, you know, get a bunch of guys in, into the um, awards at year end. So Mayer will be a finalist for every single tight end award. He'll almost certainly be second, third team, um, All-American, just not not that first team tier. Unless if something changes, like he can definitely play his way into that conversation. He's definitely in the conversation. Um, four games in with with eight to go. Yeah, definitely, Brett. So I, yeah, I mean, to be clear, I, I, my opinion of Michael Mayer has not changed at all. I think he's just as great a talent as he was going into the season. I think he's just effective a player. But it's the point. Yeah, I think we're making here is it's really just about his like stats. And that's something that gets affected by these factors that are outside of his control, whether it's an ineffective wide receiver group, defense is keying on him more, and, and I think that's more what it is. But um, but we'll see. You know, I think as the season goes on, things can change a little bit. I think another point that we need to call out, this is a theme. So on the defensive side of the ball, if you wanted to call out standouts, it's a little tricky. Everyone's been pretty solid for the most part, but not great. We don't have a a Kyle Hamilton level performer in this group. And I guess even like Kyle Hamilton last year, he only played half the season, but you don't have someone who's just clearly standing above everyone. I don't see an all American in the group. We have 13 rotational players between 64 and 77. I mean, that's, that's great. That shows that you have really good depth. It shows that everyone on the defense does their job. They do it pretty well, but you're not seeing that impact impact player. Now, one area that's a little bit weaker is at the corner position. So they're tending to be a little bit more in the fifties. So Hart, Benjamin Morrison, some of these grades don't make a whole lot of sense to me because I just watching these games, I don't feel, at least to me as the viewer watching these games, I don't feel like our corners are just constantly getting burned and constantly getting exposed. And again, some of this could be weighted towards, we've talked about, we mentioned last week with UNC, there was garbage time that wasn't really garbage time. There were some plays that our corners gave up there, but if you're really watching the game, the game was kind of over at that point. So how much stock do you really put into it? So I don't know. I think my reaction is some of these grades for the corners seem a little bit low, but we did. I think another point that's also worth mentioning is that we did play two of the most explosive passing teams in Ohio State and UNC. And, and it's, we have to mention again that these grades that we're calling out, these are not opponent adjusted. So if you played, you have 12 games and you play the 12 most explosive, most efficient offenses in each of those games, your grades are going to be pretty, they're not going to be nearly as good as they would be if you played the 12 worst. But, uh, pro football focus does not account for that. They just watch the film, they're opponent agnostic, and they just grade them accordingly. Cam Hart and Morrison, again, just something that doesn't really align with is they're allowing a 40% completion rate. So to me, that sounds like their grades should probably be a little bit higher. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's interesting to me that, again, Cam Hart, the, the number one thing on a cornerback is do they give up catches? And Cam Hart is only giving up catches on 40% of the throws when he's targeted, which is a extremely high rate or low rate, I should say, right? Like an a offensive quarterback trying to complete 65 to 70% of the passes. If they're thrown towards Cam Hart, they're only completing 40%. And that's true for Benjamin Morrison as, as well. Tariq Bracey actually grades out a little higher than the others. So Clarence Lewis, Ben Morrison, and Cam Hart are all in the high 50s. I don't get the Cam Hart and Morrison grades. 
Bracey's at 65. He actually gives up receptions um, 83% of the time when he's been targeted so far this year, but not for a lot of yardages. Um, they've been for about nine yards per catch, which is pretty low. Like I think on average, you know, yards per catch is going to be in the, you know, low teens. So he's keeping the ball in front of him. He's minimizing yardages. He's wrapping up and, and tackling well. And so I think that boosts his grade a little bit. <clears throat> but for Cam Hart going up against, you know, the UNC and Ohio State passing games and having that low of a completion rate, it's just still the pro football focus grade that I struggle with the most. When the stats they're using, like receiving percentage when targeted, is such a strong metric for Hart, um, I just don't quite get it. One last player that I wanted to spend one second on is Isaiah Foskey. He's someone who falls in that bucket of, has been really solid. Pro football focus grade of 77. A little bit of a slow start to the year, but he's got three sacks. Um, so he's still climbing up, you know, that list. He's, he's on track for nine sacks this year, so maybe not quite that double digit total. He hit last year, but definitely a chance to play up into double-digit sacks again. So he's a guy that I think had a slow start to the year, was pretty quiet in the Ohio State and uh, Marshall games, but had a grade of 91 against Cal and, and uh, in the 70s again against North Carolina. So he's a player that we might not have a defensive standout right now. Preseason, we would have said that guy's Isaiah Foskey. If he can keep replicating what he's done in the last couple of weeks where he's really stepped up his havoc game, he's really stepped up his pressure rate, um, feel like he is someone to keep an eye on that probably isn't having the dominant season we were hoping for, is not looking like an All-American, but has definitely shown flashes of that, definitely has the potential we saw last year, so someone to keep an eye on. Moving away from player um, evaluation and looking at broader team evaluation in, in key areas. Um, in addition to this theme of volatility, I think the other thing that stands out is Notre Dame's pretty average, um, particularly relative to the standards and expectations we've had. Um, and and in addition to that, we're average with some very glaring weaknesses, and, and we've talked about them a lot on this show. Um Mike, I'll maybe let you start on the offense, but just to set the stage, we're overall 30th in SP plus, uh, efficiency metrics. If that holds, it would be the worst since 2014. We've actually been in the top 20 of SP plus every year since then, and we're 30th right now. Chance to definitely play our way up. A lot of that's opponent adjusted. So the fact that Marshall has really struggled and Cal has really struggled, that actually brings our ratings down because it makes the data points from those games look even worse. So I think opponent adjustments is really hurting us right now. Chance to improve that. But Mike, starting on the offensive side of the ball, how's it happening? Like, How is this just an average output that we're seeing? And maybe what are the weaknesses leading to that? So I think diving into these stats, it shouldn't be too surprising based on the strengths and weaknesses that we've identified. A headline number from an SP Plus standpoint is we're actually 44th on offense. So I would say that's that's certainly a very average offense, and that's not surprising based on, on what we've seen so far this year. But what is surprising is our success rate. So we have a 48% success rate. So basically what that tells that tells me is that we've generally been able to stay ahead of the chains. We've been able to move the ball. It's actually number 30 in the country, and this is one of the more important statistics in determining how successful your offense is, and that, that's the highest that we've actually been since 2011. So our offense, in terms of staying ahead of the chains, 
moving the ball. We've actually been pretty effective at it. But where we've been faltering, and this is a theme that we've we've talked about over and over again, I think in every single one of our game recaps, is is explosiveness. And we've been very weak in this area. So we, we've mentioned generally you're going to find most teams have an explosiveness rating somewhere between 1.1 and 1.3 and 1.3. That's a higher explosiveness rating. Well, we're not even at one. We're at 0.98. So that's a hundred for context. That's 130th in the country out of 131 at the FBS level. So we have a good success rate. That's great. But you really need to be able to pick up some chunky plays every once in a while. You're just, cause if you can't do that, you can't be relying on executing play after play after play after play it's it's too hard to lap those on top of each other enough times without any sort of chunky plays to be able to score and that's that's kind of what's happening so again this is this is the area where we've really struggled struggled our explosiveness our receivers as we mentioned they haven't been particularly effective for the most part they haven't really been able to again generate these explosiveness the lack of depth is a factor here too styles we said Styles going into the season. We thought he would be the best receiver for this season. So far, he's on pace for 55 catches. And he, so he's he's done okay. But beyond that, everyone else, it's been a pretty steep drop-off. Braden Lindsey, someone who has a lot of experience, hasn't quite broken broken through yet in his career. We were thinking this was kind of the make-or-break year for him. So far, he's just on pace for 20 catches. Hasn't graded out well. Hasn't looked very good. And then no other receiver beyond that has more than three catches. Now, we're at the bye week right now. As I mentioned earlier on the show, sometimes it gives you an opportunity to get some younger guys a little bit more experienced. They can come along a little bit more. So maybe we'll see some jump here, but I, I wouldn't say it's anything that I would bet on. I think with receiver group this year, at least it kind of is what it is. We're not going to get a whole lot of production. And that that's really the story behind the explosiveness. And then another important aspect to mention here is that our offensive line, who we expected to be extremely effective starting the year, Really, that wasn't the case. They struggled quite a bit early in the season. Um, okay, in moments. Right now, we have, we're averaging 3.23 line yards. That's better than the last few seasons, actually, under Jeff Quinn, but still only number 52 in the country. And the pro football focused pass block grades so far have not been holding up particularly well either. 62nd in the country. I do think our last couple games, the offensive line has looked a little bit better. So again, it's still early. We've only played four games. Brett, as you mentioned, there's room to improve, particularly at this point in the season, SP plus. If you have, if you have a couple really good games in a row, you can jump up really quickly. Um, and we've actually, we have actually seen that in prior seasons, prior seasons. I think even last year, I want to say at one point we were ranked somewhere in the mid to high twenties in SP plus. And then I forgot exactly where we ended up at the end of the year, but I want to say we were somewhere around top 15, top 10. I can't remember off the top of my head. So we have, we have had moments in seasons where we've, there's been a week where we've last year we finished 11th in SP plus. So we've, we've definitely shown the ability to move up. Yeah. Season. And it's happened. I mean, it, it, again, at this point in the season, there's a lot of volatility. You play a couple games against weak competition where you don't hold up very well, but then things start to click. And then by the end of the year, you're a much more effective team. So that can definitely happen. And that's something to keep an eye on. But Brett, to your point, if we stay at this level and we finish out the year, at number 30, that's, that's, that's quite a steep drop off. That's somewhere we haven't been in a long time. I don't know if that's going to happen. I think it's certainly based on what we've seen so far this year. It's possible, but we've seen some room, some, some reasons to think that we can continue improving and, and can bump that SP plus rating up. So that's kind of the view on the offensive side of the ball. Brett, you want to walk through the defense? Cause I think overall, another key theme is that the offense has been weaker, but the defense has been, has been much more effective. And I think the question for me to you, Brett, is, is the defense elite? How do you how do you frame 
excuse me, their performance thus far this season. So going into the season, our expectation was for this to be a top 15 to 20 unit in the country, potentially top 10. And I'd say top 10 makes you elite. Right now they're 25th in SP+. Plus. Um, so that's really, really great. That's above average. That's a, that's a great spot to be. In fact, if, if we were 25th in SP plus on offense, um, you know, usually if both sides of your ball are 25th, then you're actually overall going to be higher than that because there's going to be a lot of teams in front of you that might, you know, be like UNC where they have the 10th best offense, but the 100th best defense. And so they're going to average out to something worse. So if, if we were 25th on both sides of the ball, that's going to be a top 15 team. Um, so the, the defense is definitely holding their own, but hasn't stepped up to that elite level. And so how, how, how have we gotten there? We've allowed a 42% success rate. Um, that's pretty respectable, especially considering we've played North Carolina and Ohio State, who in pretty much every statistical category, Ohio State's one of the top two or three offenses in the country, and UNC is a top 10, top 15 offense in the country. So especially considering who we've played, a 42% success rate is really good. And the nice part is the SP plus rankings after this, um, you know, we mentioned BYU's 35th, Stanford 46, UNLV 99, Navy and Boston College, both outside the top 100, Clemson and USC in the top 25. But down the stretch, our defense is going to get a lot more favorable matchups than they have. And so I think you're going to see some of those metrics move more favorably just by way of not having to go up against Drake May and CJ Stroud, um, at least until the end of the year, maybe in, in the Caleb Williams USC game. And where we've struggled though, what I think has really held us back is our havoc rate is right now just 13%, which ranks 118th in the country. So this has been a very bend, don't break defense. This has been a defense that has survived by generally keeping teams off schedule, generally not allowing the big play. Um, I'm looking up our explosiveness ranks on defense. It's actually not the best. It's, it's average to below average. But in general, um, especially if you remove the fourth quarter against UNC, it's been a really successful version of Ben not break. But what's prevented us from being elite is we aren't generating turnovers. Um, I think we've just generated one on the year. We aren't generating consistent pressure in the backfield. We did against UNC. We did at times against Cal. Um, but that's what's holding us back from this being a top 10 defense is just the lack of havoc being generated. But right now, if they keep doing exactly what they're doing, our defense alone will go out and almost certainly win us four of the next eight games, if not five or six, just by the fact that there's five or six opponents left on our schedule that just are not going to go and score 20 points against this defense if they continue doing what they're doing at all. So defense, definitely the strength of this team. If they start generating more havoc, more consistently, this goes back to this consistency question. Havoc is where we've had the most volatility. Some weeks we look great. Some weeks is just not there at all. And so if the havoc gets there consistently, that's the path to this defense going from a top 25 unit to the top 10 or 15 unit that I think we were hoping for. I agree with that. And I think, Brett, on your point on the explosiveness, it's interesting because my, my perception has generally been that we've been pretty effective at limiting explosiveness, keeping the ball in front of us. But I do think that is like heavily weighted by the UNC game. And we talked about this last week. 
a lot of those explosive plays that occurred. They happened in what I would consider garbage time, but what the metrics would not technically consider garbage time. So I think some of those metrics may be punishing our explosiveness a little bit more than they should. And I think going forward, I actually feel pretty good about our team's ability to to limit the explosiveness. Yeah, and from a Havoc standpoint, um, certainly disappointing the first couple of games, but it's been improving, and there is some sign that we might be able to uh, finally actually reach that Havoc level that we were anticipating the rest of the year. And if, if that happens, then I, I agree. I think we're looking closer to a top 10 defense. So I, I think there's some real upside there. Now, moving big picture to our expectations for this season moving forward. You already mentioned this a little bit with your comments, Brett, but there are four, if we're looking at our schedule, there are four games that should be considered absolute, should be must wins, double digit favorites. If we lose these games, it's a huge disappointment. Of course we could. We lost to Marshall. That was a, a huge shock. So Everything's no, possible. Anything's possible. We, we, we were reminded that, uh, pretty harshly at the beginning of the season. So, but UNLV, Stanford, Navy, Boston College, each of those teams, they have either an offense or a defense that ranks outside the top 90. So in each one of those games, there is a matchup on one side of the ball where we should have a massive advantage. And so we should, in and theory, those rankings, by the way, are according to SP plus. So on an efficiency opponent adjusted basis, big time mismatch. Definitely. So we should, if we take care of business, these should be fairly, fairly comfortable wins. Now moving, if those are our, our must win games, there are a couple games that I think are kind of toss ups. And so I think USC right now, USC, their offense has looked very good at times, but they also have had some, some inconsistent performances at times. I think it was Oregon. They were on the road at Oregon State and they, uh, they almost dropped that game and Oregon State, I wouldn't say is a, uh, a good team. So they're definitely not, they're definitely not a, they're ranked pretty highly, but to me, they don't really seem like a top 10 team. And currently the, uh, SP plus data has us as a one point underdog against USC on a neutral field. So. Uh, so that's about five points on the road. So that, that should be a pretty close game. And then Clemson were a four point underdog on a neutral site against them, but we're playing them at home. So that gets us pretty close to even. So if you're looking at these two games, I think it's, you can definitely talk yourself into us winning one of them. It's very possible we could lose two. Winning two would be, winning two would be fantastic. I think it's, I think it's probably pretty likely that we either split it or we lose both. We'll have to see how things go. Um, but basically, these are essentially kind of toss-ups. Maybe based on this data, USC is a little bit less of a toss-up. And then the other two games that are worth calling out are BYU and Syracuse. So we've talked about BYU at nauseum this episode. The other one is Syracuse has been a little bit of a surprise. They've actually played really well this year so far. And I think these are these are games that are really good measuring tests. These are teams that are not at the same level as Clemson or USC, I don't think. But I think they should give us a good data point on where this team is. So... Um, these are the games that I, I will be watching pretty closely to get a pulse on where our team's improved, some of the areas that we're coming along a little bit more slowly. Have they actually improved? Have we gotten to a point to where we thought we'd be at the beginning of the season? So these are important litmus tests, I think, for the year. So if I'm looking, taking stock of all this, I think I'm going to assume that if I look at the four must-win games, I think I think we'll take care of business with those. Again, it's anything is possible. We lost to Marshall. And I think I'm going to say that we split one of the Clemson USC games. Um, I'm going to, I think right now I'm leaning towards us beating USC. I just feel a little less confident in their, in their ability to perform at a top 10 level, basically. And then I think, I think maybe we split one of BYU and Syracuse. So that's, that's six games. 
from this point on. So that would be, that would get us to get me to an eight, eight, uh, eight game win total. So, and I think I, I, I said in the, in last week's episode, I was predicting seven or a seven or eight game, uh, win total this year. So that, that, that gets us, gets me right in the line, right in line with that range, a little bit more favorable. Um, and I think based on how we started from my standpoint, that actually is a pretty good outcome. I, I'd be really interested if someone smarter than us had a win probability distribution chart. Like what's the bell curve? I'm sure right now, actually I know it is like Notre Dame is expected to win seven and a half to eight games. So like Vegas is saying they think the over under is kind of right around eight games. Um, I bet six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 are all pretty much just as likely. Uh, maybe not 10. It might be hard to go around the table, but six, seven, eight, and nine. And part of the reason for that is that Clemson's actually worse than what we expected to start the year. So to start the year, their preseason SP plus was fifth in the country and that's dropped to 18th. And so what that equates to is they would have been about a 21 point favorite against the average team in the country to start the year. And SP plus has now notched them down to 15th. They really got lucky in an overtime win, double overtime win against Wake Forest two weeks ago. And then last week took care of business against Clemson. Um, sorry, against NC state um, in a top 10 matchup. NC state went into that one undefeated, but Clemson really benefited from two turnovers um, by NC state that really took them out of this game. And so Clemson's been a beneficiary of some other teams making some, you know, really unlucky mistakes for the opponent, lucky mistakes, if, if you're a Clemson fan. And so Clemson's not a top five team. They are not, you know, frankly, in some prior years when they had a couple losses, they actually graded out really, really well in these advanced stats. And so the metrics suggested they were a much better team than their record. Right now, the advanced stats are saying they're really good. They're a top 25 team, but they're not as good as what their record reflects. They're not the number five team in the country, um, according to the advanced metrics. They're the number five team in the country, according to the AP poll. But that's not what we're actually um, seeing in the advanced numbers. So I think Clemson, even though Notre Dame is worse than what we expected, so is Clemson. And then similarly, we don't know anything about USC yet. They haven't really played any tough competition in the Pac-12. They're not going to have a lot of co- tough competition in the Pac-12. Um, and so between some unknown variabilities on teams like USC – and then more importantly, because of Notre Dame's volatility, like depending what team Notre Dame shows up, if, if the team that showed up at Chapel Hill shows up in the next um, eight games, I'm highly confident we get to nine, maybe even 10 wins. If the team that shows up against Cal shows up, we could be six and six. We, we could be five and seven. I mean, who, who knows? We could lose every game um, if, if that team shows up. And so to me, that makes it – um, really, really difficult to predict, but I tend to just lean on who has the weakest unit on the field, offensively or defensively. And so if Notre Dame's offense is 44th, how many times do we go up against a team whose both offense and defense is better than our offense, right? So how many games will our offense be the worst unit on the field? The only time where that's going to happen is Clemson. Clemson has the 25th ranked offense, according to SP Plus, and the 19th ranked defense, according to SP Plus. And so other than that, even against USC, USC's defense is 58th. Um, even against BYU, um, 
their defense is actually interestingly 44th. So it's um, kind of maybe flip-flopped. And so maybe that's the other one I should be most nervous about. But in all of these other games, whether it's Syracuse, who's looking really strong, but their offense is 68th. Like they just don't have that great of an offense. Um, all of these other teams have a bigger weakness than we do. And I just tend to think that over time that gets exposed. Over time, those advanced metrics, there's a reason why they're predictive. Like eventually things will regress to the mean. Eventually Marshall will regress to the mean and that will just be an outlier um, and, and, and not reality. So I'm actually really confident in every game on the schedule other than Clemson, assuming that the volatility starts going away, assuming that the lack of consistency we saw in September goes away. So that's why I think this BYU game is such a critical juncture of do we continue to see more volatility and Notre Dame looks off, or are we now actually seeing two or three consistent data points in a row? So assuming we see a good data point against BYU, um, I've actually got this team getting the nine wins. I think we're just better than USC and USC's, you know, really just having a, um, you know, lucky start to the season on, on really a pretty easy strength of schedule. And yes, they have an elite offense, but we've played elite offenses and, and we've done just fine. So I'm going to use the weakest unit on the field theory. And that tells me that other than Clemson, we should feel good about every single remaining game on the schedule with the biggest thing that's impacting that is how does our team show up? That That's the biggest question. But looking at the schedule, if our team shows up, I think there's seven more wins on the table. And if we get to nine and three after an 0-2 start, um, that would be a really, really good way to end this season. So I might be getting ahead of my skis a little bit, but I'm going to take the aggressive, um, bullish approach on, on the next two thirds of the season and say the Irish get to nine and three. Yeah. Clearly we've seen a few things, particularly from the UNC game that gave us some room for optimism. And uh, I think our, our our predictions for the rest of the season now are, are reflecting that. So much better place to be in than where we were a few weeks ago. Um, hopefully we get there. This BYU game is going to be a really big, as we said, data point to see where, how things are going to look going forward. And yeah, Brett, I hope you're right. I mean, that would be incredible. If, if after the Marshall game, you told me, guess what? We're going to get to nine games and... One, the one loss that we're going to have is going to be a close loss to Clemson. I, I would say that's fantastic. I feel sign me up for, for the Freeman era. It seems like he probably figured it out. For sure. So going into BYU, really important data point. Um, maybe the last thing I'll close on though is don't rule out six and six. Like Notre Dame fans should be skeptical going into this. I'm optimistic nine and three is still on the table. I'm equally aware that that six and six is still out there, but the march to nine or ten wins has to include a win at BYU. So this is a critical game for Marcus Freeman and, and where this team can go this season. So that our show's a wrap. Gyrish beat Cougars. Gyrish.